A reading from Paul's letter to the church in Ephesus, chapter 2. Don't forget that you Gentiles used to be outsiders. You were called uncircumcised heathens by the Jews who were proud of their circumcision, even though it affected only their bodies and not their hearts. In those days, you were living apart from Christ. You were excluded from citizenship among the people of Israel, and you did not know the covenant promises God had made to them. You lived in this world without God and without hope, but now you have been united with Christ Jesus. Once you were far away from God, but now you have been brought near to him through the blood of Christ. For Christ himself has brought peace to us. He united Jews and Gentiles into one people when in his own body on the cross, he broke down the wall of hostility that separated us. He did this by ending the system of law with its commandments and regulations. He made peace between Jews and Gentiles by creating in himself one new people from two groups together as one body. Christ reconciled both groups to God by means of his death on the cross and our hostility toward each other was put to death. He brought this good news of peace to you Gentiles who were far away from him and peace to the Jews who were near. Now all of us can come to the Father through the same Holy Spirit because of what Christ has done for us. So now you Gentiles are no longer strangers and foreigners. You are citizens along with all of God's holy people. You are members of God's family. Together we are his house built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets. And the cornerstone is Christ Jesus himself. We are carefully joined together in him, becoming a holy temple for the Lord. Through him, you Gentiles are also being made part of this dwelling where God lives by his spirit. I absolutely love uh, that passage of scripture that we just heard read and that we are going to be learning together. And I'm privileged to get to lead uh, us in that learning today. So I'm glad that you're here. Welcome to Community Christian, those of you in the room, those of you joining us online. I wanted to start today uh, with an illustration that I think everybody here can identify with. You ever been to one of those parties, those gatherings, uh, probably like a class reunion of some sort, where the first thing they do when you walk through the doors is a table and they give you one of those name tags that you have to stick on your shirt and walk around with all night long. It says, hi, my name is, and you're supposed to write your name in there. I always thought, why do I have to say hi? Maybe I don't want to say hi to anybody, but they're forcing me to say hi. But, and then I have to share my name. So you have to fill these out, and it's supposed to keep, you know, it's supposed to keep the conversations going. It's supposed to help us identify with each other, and I get that. So if I were at one of these parties, if, if you're new here, I would write my name. Hi, my name is Jason on that, and you would write your name most likely. But I wonder, what if you went to one of these gatherings, and instead of writing your name, they said, no, don't write your name. Write something else that's true about you that would help people identify who you are. And I wonder if that were the case, you couldn't write your name, what would you write? What are the things that you would put on your name tag that identify you as being you? Now, I got a lot of stuff I could write on that tag because I'm a multifaceted dude. And I'm sure you are too. Well, maybe not the dude part. But you are a multifaceted person, right? We've got lots of stuff that identify us. And who we, or ways that we identify. So a lot of us, and, and this is pretty common when we meet people, we, we, we share our occupations. So maybe you'd write your occupation, what you do for a living. You might write, I teach kids, or I sell houses, I stock shelves, I fix cars, I fix planes, I work in an office, I clean, I sell things, whatever. 
Others of you might decide, you know what, I'm going to write something that identifies me that I'm really into. You know, like we all have our interests. You've got your hobbies, stuff that you find fascinating, that they're just kind of unique to you. So maybe you might write one of those areas that you're passionate about. So you might write, I'm into cars, or I'm into motorcycles, or I like Marvel movies, or I like true crime podcasts, or I like a certain kind of music, or I'm a golfer, or I like antiques, I decorate, I cook things. Maybe, maybe you go a little deeper, though. What if you went a little deeper and you talked about maybe something you'd been through, a challenge that you'd faced in your life that really identifies you today? Maybe you'd write cancer survivor, or you'd write veteran, or you'd write the name of a family member that you have lost in your mourning, or maybe you'd write about your divorce or that you're a survivor of abuse. But we, if we all got to write on our name tags, what what is true about us, here's what I know would probably happen in the course of this social gathering that we would all have. Pretty soon we'd start to form these little communities, these little connections with we, each other based around our similarity. So I'd walk around the room and I'd find somebody with a name tag that says, oh, you're into metal, me too. <laughs> and that would be cool because we could talk about that because that's something I'm into. Or maybe you'd find someone, if you're a teacher, somebody that says, I'm a teacher. And you're, oh, I'm a teacher too. Let's talk about it. How's, how's the year going? Or you'd see somebody that says, I'm a survivor, and you go, oh, me too. Let's tell, my, let's tell our stories. Because here's what is true about all of us. Identity and community always go together. Identity and community bring us together. They bind us to people who are like us. They draw us towards one another. You could say that whatever your identity is or whatever you choose it to be in that moment, it's kind of like I'm in a particular tribe, right? A tribe is just a group of people that you belong to. But here's what's interesting about us being in tribes. Your identity will lead you to a tribe. But if you're not careful, over time, there's a slow process that can take place. And over time, your identity becomes your tribe. Your tribe and your identity are inseparable. The tribe you belong to can start to become who you are. And I want to be clear, there's nothing wrong with having a tribe. I mean, we all have tribes. Like, it's inevitable. It's part of your nature. It's part of my nature. We are drawn together by what unites us and what we find alike. We're all looking for a place to belong. That's just true about human beings. But here's what's so dangerous. Whenever a tribe changes and that tribe becomes infected with something you will call tribalism, it becomes toxic. It becomes toxic for the people in the tribe, and it can become toxic for the people outside of the tribe. Because here's what happens when you start to experience tribalism. We wind up focusing not just on the similarities that we have with the people within our tribe. We then start to focus on other things. We look outside the tribe, and we find out how we are unlike the people outside of our tribe. In other words, we become more identified with who we are not than we are about who we are. See, it's not just that I identify with these people and they're like me in my tribe. It's that I don't identify with the people who are outside of my tribe. And then pretty soon when you live that way long enough, you start to look outside your tribe and you think to yourself, but in fact, I don't even understand those people outside of my tribe. I don't get why they think the way they think. I don't get why they are the way they are. And I'm just, I just don't like them. In fact, I, I just rather not have them around. I don't want to talk to them. I don't want to engage with them. And in, in, in fact, the truth is I, I don't. I don't like them very much. I, I just, I'm disgusted with them. 
And tribalism becomes something that divides us rather than brings us together. How many of you seen the movie The Social Network? It's pretty old now, a few years old. The Social Network was a movie that came out several years ago, and it was the story of how Facebook got started. And it was pretty clear from the movie that the creators of Facebook had an idea. And the idea was this. We're going to create a space online where all these people can all come together and they'll all discover what's true about themselves and what's, what they have in common. And it's going to draw us all together. We're going to be just this one beautiful community where we're all just together. How's that working out for us? I recently heard about an experiment. It was done way back in uh, 1954, in fact. It was in Oklahoma. They took these 11-year-old boys away for a couple weeks of camp. But they had two groups of boys who did not even know that the other group existed. So they had one group of boys over here in, in one camp and the other group over here, and they did not know that the other group was there. But they experienced the exact same thing for an entire week. They had a great week of camp, bonded together. They basically became a little tribe. For the second week of camp, they said, we're going to do another week, but this time we're going to come together. There's this group over here. We're going to all join together. And they brought the two groups together. And what they found real quickly is that these boys quickly realized they did not like each other. Because they began to identify not just with what made them alike with the boys that they had spent a week with. They started identifying themselves with what made them different of the other group that they were joined together. Even though they had the exact same experiences. Their identities had become based on who they were not rather than on who they were. And it basically sounds like this. I'm not just in this group. I'm also not in that group. I am not that. So that's tribalism. I'll give you another lighthearted example of tribalism, okay? And you all experience this all the time. Sports. Sports is a form of tribalism. See, I am a fan of the Georgia Bulldog football team. I grew up in Georgia. It's all I've ever known. I love my dogs. I love cheering for the dogs. I have become a part of the tribe who loves to cheer for the Georgia Bulldogs. Last night, we all got heart attacks. <laughs> but we got the W, and we're happy with that. We'll take it any way we can get it. And we really had a good time last year when our guys won the national championship. And we always have to bring that up, right? But there's something else that I have noticed about me, and I'm not proud of this. I am not proud of this, but it's just true, and we're in church, and we confess our sins one to another, correct? So I'm going to be confessing some sin to you today. I've noticed over the years that not only is my favorite team Georgia, I notice that I don't just love watching the dogs win. I love watching Florida lose. <laughs> it's a joy for me. My favorite team is Georgia and whoever's playing Florida. It's just great. Whenever the do whenever dogs win, Florida loses. It's just great. And then I noticed something after a few years of that. I noticed something else even more sinister started creeping into my heart. It wasn't just that I didn't like Florida. It was that I didn't like any team that wore orange. Right? I don't like Tennessee. I don't like Auburn. And that's embarrassing for me to admit. But here's the truth. The other day, no, not the other day, probably about a year ago, uh, my wife wanted to buy me some new shoes for my birthday. So we're in the shoe store, and she found these shoes, and she was like, oh, these shoes are great. I think you'd love these shoes. They look great on you. And I looked at those shoes, and I said, uh, you ain't buying me those shoes. And she goes, what's wrong with these shoes? They're great shoes. And I said, they got a little bitty thing of orange right there. <laughs> and she goes, are you serious? And I said, yes, I am that petty. I'm just not going to identify myself with the orange, right? You know? And that's sad. That's sad. It's pathetic. I know it's pathetic. I get it. 
That's tribalism. It's where I'm not just identified with my people, I am unidentified with those people. And that's funny when it's sports, and we can make light of it, but it gets serious when it's real life. So can we talk like adults for a second? Can I just say some things that are going to be hard to hear? There's this thing in our culture now, and we call it identity politics. You heard of this? Identity politics. All it is is another form of tribalism. Identity politics is when you decide to look at everything and everybody in this world through the lens of your political tribe. And if someone doesn't belong to your tribe, you immediately, without ever knowing the person, you hold them in suspicion, you don't trust them, and you probably down deep are disgusted at them just a little bit. And if you spend long enough in that world, you can outright hate them just because they're in a different tribe. And, and you think I'm just talking about Democrats and Republicans. I am, but it goes deeper than that. We have other tribes now. We have now the CNN tribe and the Fox News tribe, and they don't like each other, and they're distrustful of each other, right? We have the BLM tribe and the MAGA tribe. We have a pro-vax tribe and an anti-vax tribe. And what we have done is we have taken our perspectives, our opinions about issues in our world, and we have said, this is my identity. They are the truest things about me. And so now everyone who has a different identity or a different perspective from you, they belong to a different tribe than you. They are now the enemy. They must be stopped. They are evil. We will not have them. It's what we are doing in our world. Because when your opinion becomes your identity, what else is going to happen, folks? Except for division, suspicion, conflict, and eventually, hatred. And all of those things, I'll call it what it is, it is evil. Its root is in our enemy. It is not of God. It is not the way of Jesus Christ. And that evil has found its way. And you know this is true. It's found its way into the middle of your friendships. There are people that you won't speak to. You can't have a rational conversation with because of this tribalism. It's crept into your family gatherings. There are places and times you don't want to be with your family because you're afraid the political discussion is going to pop up. And you're not going to be comfortable in your own family anymore. And God help us, it's getting into the church. And it ain't right. It's from the evil one. There is a church that I know of right here in this county who fired their pastor, not because of his political position. They fired him because he refused to reveal his political position in his Sunday sermons. So basically what they said to him was, we can't tell which tribe you belong to on this issue or that issue. And because we can't figure out what tribe you belong to, you're gone. You're just out of the church. The same church that claims to follow Jesus Christ, who said, you only have one command. One, you love other people the way that I have loved you. Tribalism kills community. And this is what an early church leader named Paul is trying to address in a letter he wrote to a church in a place called Ephesus. We've been looking at this letter to the Ephesians over the last month, and we've seen how much Paul loves this church. And because Paul loves these brothers and sisters, when he hears that a form of tribalism has started to settle into their community and divided them, his heart is broken. 
and he just has to do something about it. But the issue dividing this church into tribes sounds ridiculous to us. There was the circumcised tribe and the uncircumcised tribe, but it was a big deal to them. See, the Jewish people had practiced circumcision for generations as a sign that they were God's people. And now Jesus had come, their long-awaited Messiah, and he's made a way through his death and resurrection for all people to come into God's family. But the Gentiles, or non-Jewish people, didn't have a sign. And for the Jews, this was religious, racial, and national tribalism all swirled into one. So the Jews were saying, you can be a part of our tribe, but you've got to become like us. If you're a dude, just get this little surgery and you can follow Jesus. <laughs> Which left all the dudes thinking, I'd like a second opinion on this. And all the ladies thinking, it's good to be a woman. So Paul addresses this tribalism, but he puts it into a whole new perspective. He actually speaks about it in the past tense. Look at what Paul says. Don't forget that you Gentiles used to be outsiders. You were called uncircumcised heathens by the Jews who were proud of their circumcision, even though it affected only their bodies and not their hearts. In those days, you were living apart from Christ. You were excluded from citizenship among the people of Israel, and you did not know the covenant promises God had made to them. You lived in this world without God and without hope, but now you have been united with Christ Jesus. Once you were far away from God, but now you have been brought near to him through the blood of Christ, for Christ himself has brought peace to us. He united Jews and Gentiles into one people when in his own body on the cross, he broke down the wall of hostility that separated us. If you've spent any time in church, I'm sure you've heard a preacher talking about how Jesus' death and resurrection has brought peace between us and God. And that's true, but that's only part of the truth. Paul here says that Jesus has brought peace to our relationships with people. He says whatever walls or hostility exist between people, Jesus has broken down that wall. Now for us, we read that like a symbol, and it is. A wall is a symbol for separation. When we say there's a wall between us, we're talking about a conflict or people being at odds or separated from one another. But for the Jews and Gentiles in this church, the wall was much more literal for them. In the temple, where people gathered together and worshiped God, there were all kinds of walls that certain people couldn't cross. And don't forget, the Jewish people believed the very presence of God dwelled inside the temple. God was in the innermost room called the Holy of Holies. So the closer you could get to the center of the temple, the closer you could get to God. But the walls determined how close you could get. On the very outside part of the temple was a place called the Court of Gentiles. So if you were a Gentile, you could only go that far. Then you'd hit a wall. You had to stay on the outside edge. There was a Court of Women. So if you were a Jewish woman, you could go one more layer closer. That was it. Next was the Court of Israel. That's where the typical Jewish man could go. Then there's the court of priests. So if you were a male, Jewish, and a priest, you could go inside there. And then finally, one priest at certain times of the year could enter the holy place where God was. Fun fact, when you read the accounts of the life of Jesus, guess where he spent most of his time? Outside of all the walls or in the court of the Gentiles. He didn't spend too much time inside the walls. So these walls of hostility Paul refers to aren't just symbols. They were real everyday objects that had been determining their relationship with God and with each other for generations. And even now, 2,000 years later, 
Human beings still put up walls between one another that keep us from experiencing the fullness of life with God. Since the beginning of time, uh, human beings have been dividing and putting up walls between each other. And we separate one another, as Jason's already said, with all kinds of walls these days. That might be race or ethnicity or gender or denomination. But as, again, Jason said, that's just the starting point. In our culture, we've built even more walls. And now we've got walls based on our political opinions or just the preferences that we hold on certain issues. And this is not just something that happens in our world. It happens in our church as well. And I think about our Father who gave his life to adopt us all into his family. And I think about how it must break his heart that we divide so easily over so many different things. And so before we move on uh, with our teaching today, we just want to pause and we just want to ask our Heavenly Father to help heal the divisions in his church and in our own hearts. And so to open up our time of prayer, we're going to read these words of Paul together. And when you see the words in bold uh, on screen, I would just invite you to read those words out loud with me. For he himself is our peace, who has made the two groups one and has destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility, by setting aside in his flesh the law with its commands and regulations. His purpose was to create in himself one new humanity out of the two, thus making peace, and in one body to reconcile both of them to God through the cross by which he put to death their hostility. And now, would you just take a moment with our Heavenly Father and confess to him whatever is dividing walls you've allowed to come between you and others. Maybe it's a group. Maybe it's some type of person who you don't want to associate with. Or maybe it's a specific person that you put a wall up with. Would you just confess to God and just ask him to help heal that division? Ask him to lead you to whatever you need to do to remove that wall. And now once again, let's pray these words of Scripture together. Consequently, you are no longer foreigners and strangers, but fellow citizens with God's people and also members of His household, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets with Christ Jesus Himself as the chief cornerstone. In Him the whole building is joined together and rises to become a holy temple in the Lord. And in Him you too are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by His Spirit. Now, would you just take a moment and just pray for the church to be united in Jesus so that we may draw a divided world to God. Would you just pray that despite ethnicities, our politics, our denomination, that believers around the world would work together for the glory of God. 
would you just pray that we would be true and that would be true among us here in Coweta County. Let's take just a moment and let's pray about those things. Heavenly Father, we are joining Jesus in what he prayed just before his death, that your church would be one. Would you break down whatever dividing walls of hostility we have put up and unite us in the love of Jesus? Would you do this at Community Christian right here and among the churches in our county and all over the world? May your will be done in us. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. So we have looked so far at what Paul specifically said to uh, those believers in the city of Ephesus. But you need to know the Apostle Paul was dealing with this in all different ways and all kinds of different places there in the first century when he was writing these letters that are now collected in your Bible. In fact, he writes another letter to the church in Rome. And I want you to look at what he says to this church. It's in Romans chapter 14, uh, verse 1. He says, you should accept other believers who may be weak in their faith. And don't argue with them about what they think is right or wrong. In other words, he's saying, don't let these issues, and he would call these issues disputable matters. Don't let these become dividing walls of hostility between you. Because as we've read, those walls are supposed to be torn down. Now, in this particular church, in the church at Rome... What were they dividing over? Well, in this particular instance, they were dividing over what kind of food they could eat and what was right and wrong. Uh, I can't go into all the cultural and religious background of it, but let's just put it this way. There was a group of people there that said, hey, we think any kind of meat you want to eat is just fine. Go ahead and eat it. And then there were other people that said, no, that, that's not right. You shouldn't eat meat. And other folks said, well, let's all stop arguing. Let's just all become vegetarians. And they were just creating these tribes based on what they felt was right, moral, to eat at their dinner table. And Paul looks at this church and he goes, really? I mean, really? This is what you've decided is going to be the wall. You're just going to erect a wall based on what you eat. And so he goes in and he says this in verse 19. He says, so then let us aim for harmony in the church and let's try to build each other up and then he says this powerful statement. He says, don't tear apart the work of God over what you eat. And I would say in our culture and our day, you could just take that phrase, what you eat, and just slide in whatever issue we've got in our culture right now. Whatever dividing wall that exists among us today, you just put it right in there. So what Paul would be saying to a culture like ours is this. Don't you dare. Don't you dare destroy the work of God over how someone else looks. Don't you destroy the work of God over how someone else votes or what their opinions might be or what their political party might be that they line up with. Don't you dare destroy the work of God over somebody's medical decision. Don't you dare. Because that is not how the church of Jesus Christ operates. That is not who we are. There's a pastor that I love and I listen to often. His name is Kyle Eidelman, and he said this not too long ago, and I just had to quote him. I stole his quote, so it's not original to me, but I just love the way he said this. He says, as a church, 
We are a tribe who can walk arm in arm without seeing eye to eye. I love that. We walk arm in arm even though we may not see eye to eye. And then Paul goes on, he says next in verse 22, he says, you may believe that there's nothing wrong with what you're doing, but keep it between yourself and God. And what he's saying here is, and and what I want you to get is, it's okay to have opinions. It's okay to have convictions. And I know what you think. You think you're right. And you know what? You might be right. Keep it between yourself and God. Don't you dare let those opinions destroy the work of God in other people and within his church. What God is doing in this world. Don't you dare let that get in between that. Listen to me, church. We have a vocation. We have a job in this world. And we often forget what it is. Your job in this world, my job in this world, is to be a minister of reconciliation between God and people, but also between people and people. We are the tribe that tears down the walls of hostility. We don't build walls. We are the church of Jesus Christ. We do not build walls of hostility. So I challenge you, ask yourself this question. I challenge all of us. Do the people in your world today, do the people on your social media feed, do the people you work with, the places where you go to shop, the places where you hang out and work out, the places where you eat out, the places where you drive, do those people that encounter you, do they hear in your voice the way that you speak? Do they hear in your opinions or in your behavior the way you act around them? Do they see or hear in you someone who is a wall builder or a bridge builder? Because I am telling you, if they see in you and in me a wall builder, we have now betrayed our role as the family of God. We are not operating as the church of Jesus Christ in this world any longer. We have lost our identity. My brothers, my sisters, listen. Is there a mission? Be honest. Is there a mission in your life right now that has become more important to you than the Great Commission? Now, if you're new to Christianity, you're thinking, what is the Great Commission? Go into all the world, teach them about Jesus, Make disciples of every person, every ethnicity, every background, every political persuasion. Baptize them in the name of the Father and Son and the Holy Spirit. That's the Great Commission. Do you have a mission that you're more passionate about than that one? Have you found yourself identifying with tribes in our culture based on what you're afraid of might happen? Or what has offended you this week? Have you taken your personal opinions and you've turned them into a wall in your family, in your church even? Do you constantly find yourself just flat out disgusted with people? You don't get them. You don't understand them. You're judging what they think or what they see on the other side of your opinion. Have you used that opinion? Have you used that preference? And now it's your test for whether they're going to be in relationship with you, whether you're going to relate to them or not. I want to say something to you that hit me real hard. It hit me a few years ago. And I'm still dealing with it, and I want you to deal with it as well. Do you realize we can be right on an issue and still be wrong at the same time? Because the truth is, church, if you are right in your opinion or your interpretation of an issue or your interpretation of the Bible, if you're right and you, don't get, and you get love wrong, you're still wrong. Because if you don't get love right, you get the whole thing wrong. Paul made that very, very clear. The church over the centuries has made that very, very clear. 
We love the way God has loved us in Jesus. If we get that one wrong, it doesn't matter what we believe about anything else. We're just wrong. And I know what you're thinking. You're thinking, but, I, but what about that issue? That's so black and white to me. And I, I get that issue, and, I, and that's moral and immoral. I get, yeah, we can have conversations about that, and we can discuss that, and we can, we can wrestle through that all day long. But we have to understand that unity in the church does not come from perfect alignment on every interpretation and every opinion that we have. Our unity comes from Jesus. He is everything. We stand on him. Because come on, think about it this way. You do realize that you have built some, some walls. You have built a wall between you and another person. And it's all about something that you learned, something that you heard an article that you read, or a newscast that you saw. You built a wall based on that. And the truth is, you probably haven't thought that way your entire life, have you? You grew, you changed, you learned something new, you read something new, you got more informed. And so you changed and you learned. My question to you is, if you built a wall based on something you learned that you didn't think before that, what if you learned something new tomorrow? You gonna build a wall then? It just doesn't make sense. See, our tribe is based on whatever is the truest thing about us. Whatever we allow to just rule our lives. And the truest thing about you is not your opinion. The truest thing about me is not my preferences. It's not my interpretations. The truest thing about you is what Jesus has already done for you. And if what Jesus has already done for you is what de defines you, then you and me, we are in the same tribe. You're my brother. You're my sister. And I don't want to let any other wall get in between us. So let's look back at Paul's letter to the Ephesians. This is where we've been hanging out these days. And he says, Jesus tore down all the walls that keep us separated from God, but he also tore down the walls that keep us separated from each other. And then in verse 18, he says this. Now all of us can come to the Father through the same Holy Spirit, because of what Christ has done for us. See, there it is. That's your identity. But notice the language in the next verse. He says, so now you Gentiles, you're no longer strangers. You're no longer foreigners. You are citizens along with all of God's holy people. You are members of God's family. Paul says, look, in our tribe, we don't use words like stranger. We don't use words like foreigner. We don't use words like outsider. In our tribe, we are citizens, all of us. We are citizens in the family of God. That makes us brothers, that makes us sisters. In another place, Paul talks to another church, again, dealing with these same issues in Galatians chapter 3, and he says this, For you are all children of God through faith in Christ Jesus, and all who have been united with Christ in baptism have put on Christ. It's like putting on new clothes. So now there is no longer Jew or Gentile. That is the racial wall. There is no slave or free. That is the socioeconomic wall. There is no male or female, that is the gender wall, for you all are one in Christ Jesus. No more dividing walls, church, none. Jesus broke them all down. Who are you and who am I to build it up again? Now, this kind of unity, I just admit to you, it's, this is not easy, okay? This is, this is hard work. It means you and I, we're going to have to give up some of our preferences. We're going to have to hold loose some of our opinions. It means we are going to have to sacrifice being right in order to become righteous. I'll say that again. 
You're going to have to give up being right if you want to be righteous. You have to lose for the sake of love. And I know that scares some of us. But you don't need to worry. You don't have to be afraid. Because you have a beautiful example to follow. Our Lord and Savior, our leader, has shown us what that looks like. Can you imagine if the church did this? Can you guys imagine it? Just the Christians in our country got this right for once. <laughs> what if our world looked all around in our culture and, and, and what they see right now is all they see is they see division and arguing and conflict and contempt just for people, just all over the place. They see it all over our world. And then they just turn their gaze toward the church. And what if they looked at the family of God and they said, wait a minute, they, they all have the same... They have the, all the same differences that exist out in our world. They're, they're different ethnically. They're different politically. They're, they're different in gender. They're different in socioeconomic status. They're different in all these different ways in our world. But they still love each other. They still accept each other. They have cooperation. They still support one another. What if the world saw that? So Paul ends this section of his letter and he says, Together, we are his house. We we are built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, and then the cornerstone is Christ Jesus himself. We're carefully joined together in him, becoming a holy temple for the Lord. Through him, you Gentiles who are also being made part of this dwelling where God lives by his spirit. He says, look, we are not building a house with walls and doors and rooms because church, guess what? We are the house. We are the place. We are the temple where God lives and he moves and he works in this world. He's in you. He's in me. We're the temple now. The old temple has gone away. Those walls that you saw in that video, all gone. You have become the temple of God, the dwelling place of God, standing firmly on the foundation of Jesus Christ. And anyone who wants to come and stand with us on that foundation, you are welcome. Come on with us. I don't know about you, but I would just say whatever opinion I have to, to hold loosely, whatever viewpoint, whatever preference I have to sacrifice, if I can see that happen in our world, I will gladly do that. I'll sign up for that mission. So let's not be wall builders, guys. Let's use all the time we have left. Let's use all the energy that God has blessed us with. And let's join Jesus in his work. He is tearing down walls of hostility in our world. And so now, let's all come to the table. Because this table, remember, this is not the table of the church. This is the table of the Lord. He invites all. The ground has been made level at the foot of the cross. And so as we partake in the bread and the juice, we are brought into solidarity, into that moment where Jesus made it all possible. So, Steve, come on and lead us to the table.